This is the Stark Truth, hosted by Robert Stark. Brought to you by StarkTruthRadio.com. Robert Stark is an American journalist and political commentator. You can listen to his podcast at www.StarkTruthRadio.com. Another edition of The Realist Report. This is your host, John Friend. All right, today I'm joined by Robert Stark, an independent journalist, author, and filmmaker based in California. All right, Robert Stark, welcome to the program, sir. How are you today? Great, great being on your show. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You maintain an excellent Substack page that I follow called Robert Stark's Newsletter. And I also see your articles published by The Uns Review, which is one of the top alternative media sites on the internet. Oh, yeah. So with Uns, a lot of them recently, they're just re- they're mostly just reposts. But initially, there was some original content that I had that was published on Uns. Okay, yeah. Where else? I think only one article on Tacky Mag a, long time, a couple years ago. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've I've followed your Substack for a while, and I and I've seen your articles on Uns Review as well as I mentioned. But yeah, it looks like lately, anyways, looking at your archive on the website, it's mostly stuff directly from your Substack. So it's kind of just republished at the Uns Review, which is pretty, oh, right. which is yeah, pretty common for that website. But anyways, um, you're a great writer, a lot of very very interesting insights, and I want to talk specifically about an article that you recently published about white Californians. A very very interesting, thought provoking article. Um, So to get started, since this is our first time speaking, can you just introduce yourself briefly? Tell us about your background and experience in the alternative media. Uh, I'm a California native. Uh, I've been in alternative media for about well over a decade. Yeah, I've had my uh, podcast, Star Truth Radio, for – that's been going for uh, roughly a decade. And recently, I haven't been podcasting as much, but I've been more focused uh, on the writing. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, yeah, I, I know you've been involved in the alternative media for a long time, and your I, I kind of recently discovered your Substack page, and you know I've seen your work in the past, and you're a really good writer, a lot of really good insights. And as a native Californian, I find it fascinating because I actually yeah, moved to California. Were, I think the responses were pretty were pretty interesting, a pretty wide range of responses. Uh, I think some so some people like they really got the article and they said this is totally spot on and no one else is making these points 100% right and then I got it I think I got, kind of got it from both sides because I have the people the kind of smears are saying like obviously a few people saying oh this article is racist and that's obviously expected but then a lot of the comments from Moons like from like the right wing actually saying like attacking or not attacking me but just kind of like I have a few kind of kooky comments saying that I have some like ulterior motive, but I think mostly like some right wingers don't like it that I'm promoting like them for multiculturalism. Yeah, yeah. I'm actually like I'm. This is not true. I, I'm putting forth like 
positive forward thinking alternatives, but I think right wingers, they don't want to get that I'm for multiculturalism. But I think the other thing is some people were saying, I'm saying that I'm apologetic. I'm apologetic for the way things are going and the status quo. That's a critique that I've gotten from the right. Well, I think you more or less accurately laid out what life is like in California, and I think so yeah, many. Because that's the thing I, is, think I so think many people. Pe- people. I said it's more. I said it's more bullying alone than American history. American history X. I do think, like right, right wingers, their portrayal, they have. I mean, they have some valid points, but I think the way. I want by by right wing, I mean both the mainstream right that is like civic nationalism. And things like like kind of more concern. You have like conservatism. Like the Epoch Times has a has a uh, YouTube channel that talks about the decay of California. And then you have people who focus on the right wing more, kind of like on on race. But I think like the right wing, they're invested in these like narratives of of uh, conflict. They 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 talk about California like it's this violent. A hellhole, and yeah, there's problems, but even with that, for the most part, like when I go out, like even even in L.A. where there are is major urban decay, I actually do feel like relatively uh, safe, and like I'm aware there is a rising crime, there is a rising crime, and like you go to L.A. and you see these massive homeless encampments, but the right wing, like they just have this narrative that California is just like it's just slums and violent crime everywhere and i think they do like they do miss the mark of like what the real issues are yes i 100 percent agree with you well you know what actually um as you're making these points i actually want to ask you before we even jump into your article in your Substack page uh you describe yourself as a journalist an author and a documentary filmmaker who focuses on california issues fusionist politics and future trends and this is kind of a like a general question but i'm just curious can you kind of Explain what you mean by fusionist politics and like how would you overall just describe your racial or your political philosophy? I wrote that like such a long time ago. I sort of wrote that before I started writing the Substack articles, so I that's not like I'm on the top of my mind, but I have okay. written a number of articles. Like I would say yeah, I would say that I'm not like I'm not a right winger and a nationalist. I think I tweeted I tweeted kinda like half jokingly that like I said, I, I'm a centrist and a multiculturalist, so no one can call me call me a racist. Kind of ha- like half jokingly, but I, I would say that actually, not not to be like ironic or sarcastic, but actually that's true. I would say that I'm a centrist and a multiculturalist, not not a right winger or a nationalist. Huh. Okay. Interesting. Well, it, it seems pretty clear based on a lot of your writings that you do view whites as under attack and they need to essentially form a positive racial identity in order to in order to survive you know in this post post uh post american system that we live in is is that accurate fair to say i would say that's accurate i guess the distinction is i would say to pursue their interests within the framework as multiculturalists not not as na- as nationalists and the okay. thing is a lot of right wingers they hate they hate to hear that but the thing is with multi with multiculturalism you can operate under a kind of decentralized a more kind of decentralized pro-life system when if you say you're a nationalist you're talking about this huge block of geography of people and of political power and it becomes kind of like all or nothing that's kind of the the dichotomy like okay. you're either 
you're either a nationalist and this entire country is yours or you just submit like defeat and that's that's an insane a really idiotic kind of dichotomy which i think both i think like both sides like basically everything in america's political paradigm is stuck in this dichotomy it doesn't matter like the woke people the this kind of like colorblind kind of center and like the right wing nationalist and civic nationalist people focused on like the race race on the right wing like they're all operating under this like same paradigm and i I think my position maybe it's unique because of growing up in la and kind of already a sort of like post-american environment like that that could be yeah like americanism as kind of an ideology it impacts like all sides and thinking about like multiculturalism and I say symmetrical multiculturalism, which actually, I think, I forget who coined that term. It may have been James, James Lindsay is like more of a kind of like, I think it's James Lindsay. I'm not a hundred percent sure. He's kind of like a colorblind, like classical liberal civic nationalist who's outspoken against like CRT and woke st- culture. But he, I think he's the one who maybe coined the term. He taught, he calls wokeness asymmetrical multiculturalism. So I've like, I've used the term like right-wing multiculturalism, but maybe I'd just say like symmetrical multiculturalism because I also think with like the left, so like I have had people, people on the left have like smeared me and said nasty things like the usual like smear of like racism. But I do think if you say you're for multiculturalism, it does, it does kind of catch them off guard. Like it is like semantics and the dialectics are very important. Right. Wow. Well, well you've definitely got a that, very unique outlook. That is, I think there are people in the people on the right wing. Uh, if you say you're a multiculturalist, like they, they'll say like, oh, you're a right wing multiculturalist. That like they'll think it's some kind of like Jeb Bush, like kind of like conservative type thing. Like that's their response. Right. But but that's not really at all what you're no, – you're, yeah. Yeah, well, it's definitely a very unique insight, and and I think you know your experience growing up in California, being a native Californian you know, plays a lot into that. Um, and the article that you wrote, it's just absolutely fascinating. Um, it, it's what prompted me to reach out to you for this podcast. I originally caught it on your Substack page, but I know it's also posted at the UNS Review, as I mentioned. It's titled, White Californians as a Prototype for America's Multi-Ethnic Future. And I just got to say right off the bat, I've always absolutely loved California, even growing up. I grew up in in Nebraska, and um, I um, moved to California in 2009 after graduating from college, and I lived there for about 12 years, mostly in San Diego, but also about five years in Los Angeles area. And, you know, it's funny because everyone has an opinion about California, and usually it's not a very good opinion. And more often than not, the people holding these negative opinions about California have never even set foot in the state. That's 100% true. Yeah. California is – yeah, it's more like what it symbolizes to them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I mean to be sure – and you talk about this in the article and obviously would not deny it. You've even mentioned it in this conversation so far. California does have a lot of very real problems, rising income inequality, huge cost of living expenses, and just unaffordable housing and real estate, massive homeless populations, especially in Los Angeles and San Diego and San Francisco, and white flight. I mean, the list goes on and on. But frankly, I mean, I've always found California to be an incredibly dynamic place. 
Like, I'll stand by this despite the problems. If you can afford to live here, I still think it's one of the greatest places in the world. Like even even like just the geography. But I think at like one point it made in the article is take an issue like like white flight. I think the way like the right wing views uh like the issue of white flight, they think about like con- they think about like conflict. But I think like the practical issues like housing supply and demand and like the housing supply constrained by so you have a constrained housing supply and then there's pressure from new immigration and that like that that's a far bigger issue just these like practical issues than these whole kind of like narratives about conflict that the right wing are invested in obviously like social social capital a sense of community and identity those are important issues california is very like rootless and deracinated. And I think what is more sensationalist to talk about, maybe it, it's the truth that people don't, that maybe gets overlooked and neglected. But I do think both sides, like a lot of people who are just looking for like clickbait or they want to promote their own narrative about like the right wing versus left wing culture war are very invested in uh, these narratives of uh, conflict. I think the other point I make is so America as a whole does have major vulnerabilities with the, the economy and uh, polarization, like this whole debt crisis. But I guess like, the other thing is like the whole kind of like collapse, collapse narrative. Uh, like, yeah, like there are these, like you can see these massive homeless encampments and there's political corruption. But at the same time, like I think like the right, the the racial focus right is maybe doesn't want to like admit this, but a lot of California is still an example of a very like diverse and transformed society that is still relatively functional and prosperous. And I think the right wing, the race focused right wing doesn't want to, they're maybe uncomfortable with admitting that because it doesn't fit into their narrative of collapse. Yeah, boy, that's that that is so true. And I mean, as as I mentioned, I mean, I've always found California to be an incredibly dynamic place. There's a lot of opportunities, there's a lot of things going on, there's a lot of innovation, there's a lot of very productive businesses and economic activity. Um so I mean, in that aspect, you know, I've never lived anywhere like that where, you know, there's so much going on in the state no matter where you're at. Um, at least in my experience, I mean, there's obviously a lot of rural, part, rural, rural parts of California that I didn't really experience. But like on the coast, like Southern California, certainly, you know, Northern California around San Francisco, there, there's just a lot going on, a lot of businesses, a lot of industry, um, a lot of very amazing, productive people and productive businesses, not to mention the incredible scenery, the weather, the beaches, the amazing outdoor experiences, the mountains. I mean, you know, it goes on and on. Um, so there's a lot going on in California that California has a lot going on for. It's really a tragedy what's what's happened. You know, it, it just even the years that I lived there, the, the 10 or 12 years that I lived there, you know, you can sign it. You kind of see things going downhill with the homeless homeless problem, just, you know, increasing yeah, yeah. and exacerbating. San Diego and, is yeah. considered like one of the more like, nicer, cleaner cities. And I think even there, even San Diego, like downtown San Diego, the homeless crisis is pretty bad. It, it is, yeah. Uh, I think there's like one YouTube channel named like Nick Johnson and I think his videos can get like too repetitive, but like I know him, he has this like focus where he shows like California, about California, like in decay, but it's kind of like a geography type, like YouTube channel and he'll, he'll go around and film the homeless encampments. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's yeah. I've I've seen a lot of uh, very interesting videos, and I mean, even just walking around the city myself. Yeah, it was pretty shocking. Like maybe I seemed like I was downplaying it in my in my Substack articles, but I think right around the pandemic, when there was this dramatic increase in homeless encampments, it was pretty like seeing it for the first time, like that transformation in LA and like LA or the Bay Area. It actually was. I mean, it was pretty shocking because of how dramatically it happened, like right, right around the time of the pandemic. Right. Yeah. And, and it is shocking. I mean, if anybody has never been to California and you, you know, go to LA and just drive around downtown LA, for example, you will see some of the most horrific sites imaginable. I mean, it's like literally talk about a third world country. I mean, you can go to, go to Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles and you're living in a third world country essentially with all the homeless encampments and just crazy people walking around and, and, right. and many other parts of the city as well. And in other cities it used to be like, just confined. It was mostly like downtown LA skid row. It is, it is true. Actually it is true. Like the homeless encampments are making inroads into like the wealthier areas, like the West side. That is yes. Happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that, that, and there's a lot of other problems as well. But um, one thing I, I don't think a lot of people realize is that even – gosh, I think even in the 1980s, California was like over 80, 85 percent white. And that has you know, drastically changed you know, in the 20, 30 years since then. But w- what happened to the state? Where are all the white people going? What, what is going on there? I mean you, you, know, you lived through it, so – I think now it's like 35%. I don't think it was in the – I'm not sure what it was in the 80s. I think – I'm not 100% sure. I think maybe in 1980 it may have been close to 70%. We talked about like – so like white flight is is an issue and there's a lot of different, different issues like just practical quality of life issues and like this constraint of housing supply. One comment uh, – on the Owens review article, and I think Ron, Ron Owens may have said this, is the sheer numbers, it looks really bad. And probably going to save this like for, for another article because I had a lot of different thoughts. And I, when you're running an article, you sort of edit stuff down because I like to keep my word limit like 3,000 words maximum. I don't want it to be excessively long. But what's interesting is so when you look at the change from a percentage basis, it does look pretty bad. But from a numerical basis, maybe like the peak in population was like six million, 16 million, and it went down to like 14 million. So if you look at it on a new, actually on a numerical basis, maybe it was it isn't quite as bad on as a percentage basis. But actually, with even with a lot of the pessimism, I think the big most dramatic decline was actually there's some chart that shows. It shows like the numerical decline. The biggest decline was actually in the 90s. And then into the 2000s, it was a more kind of a gradual, like a more steep decline and like a more gradual decline. So maybe with like the pandemic and like the exodus, maybe it's gotten worse recently. I don't know. But it does seem. But just overall, I'd say like the looking at things on a numerical basis is actually not as bad as a percentage basis. Yeah, interesting. Okay, well, I wanted to read just a. I have a couple excerpts here that I that I saved, and and you write here in the article, you say, while I am sympathetic to dissonant right concerns about demographics, they often are over sensual, over sensationalize racial problems to appear worse than they actually are. To the degree that there is anti-whiteness in California, it is more on an institutional level 
such as tech censorship, anti-white discrimination in university admissions, and woke corporations, as well as state policies such as UBI for black birthing and proposed reparations, despite California never being a slave state. And then you say the main issues impacting white Californians are not so much overt racial hostilities, but rather practical issues such as the cost of housing and job security, and especially social atomization and a lack of community and identity. And you also make a point, you previously made it, that life in California is much closer to bowling alone than American history X. So I tend, I mean, that basically, I agree. I mean, after living there for, for the, the 12 years that I did, I mean, that, I think that more or less accurately describes the situation. I got a comment either on Oons or thing that, like, I was apologetic for all these bad things that were happening on an institutional level. But no, I'm just, I'm just putting forth the reality because if you if you just go out in public and you see people interacting of different different backgrounds, like it is atomized, but there's still some sense of civility. I mean, there's like some we did have like the the riots in 2020, but overall there's a sense that people are pretty civil and people are are just focused on their on their work day to day lives and people are coexisting. Like you don't really sense any kind of like overt hostility, but it is absolutely true. Like these radical like type policies, discriminatory policies are taking a hold on an institutional level. So I mean, that's the reality, but I think because of the way I worded things in a more nuanced sense, like some of the more right-wing people, they accuse me of seeing, of being apologetic for the way things are, which is, which is absurd I certainly didn't. I didn't read it as, you know, you being apologetic for these things. You're no, of just, course not. Yeah, you're just factually observing what's going on. And, and I mean, again, you have direct experience living there, growing up there. Most people, like I mentioned, that comment about California have never even been to the state. It's what California symbolizes. It's not – it just symbolizes some like – to them, just like – it's a symbol of like a leftist dystopia, but it's not It's not grounded in, in actually, living, actually living here in day-to-day life. One thing is clear, though, is that at, like – and you make this point, you know, at the institutional level, at the government level, like the whole state is just run by like these totally radical leftists, woke – you know, the, these woke people, very anti-white, very um, Marxist. I mean it's all LGBT this and you know, we need more immigration and reparations for blacks. So in, in that sense, it, it is absolutely – that is absolutely true. But again, in my experience, most people – are not like that and they really don't even know what's going on politically you know you have of course your activist class like you have anywhere but generally speaking my experience in california is most people are hardworking, productive that you know there's a lot like i said there's a lot of innovation there's a lot of people that are pursuing you know side businesses and they're setting up their own photography studio or they're brewing beer or they're doing this or doing that you know so there's a lot going on and it seemed at least in my experience most people are sort of disconnected from this like woke these like woke politics that dominate the state, which is very sad because I mean, you know, that, that is the people running the state. It doesn't need the majority of people. Like even, even if you have ordinary people across all demographic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds who are pretty just normal, reasonable people, uh, it doesn't, that doesn't matter because like a small, a small minority with really insane policies can hijack the whole system. Yeah, yeah, and that's certainly what's happened. It seems like, and I mean, even to a lesser extent, m- m- much of the country at this point, um, at least the Democratic Party. Um, one other interesting 
aspect of the article, you know, you argue that California has transitioned into a state where Latinos largely form the working class, while Asians and to a lesser extent whites compromise the professional or like the managerial class. And I thought that was a very, very interesting commentary. I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And it is basically my experience as well working there. And um, although I do have to say I had yeah, I had much it, less it was for the people like who got who got like displaced. It's obviously it's obviously bad. But from the standpoint of just creating a functional society with a, with a decent economy, I mean, that the model actually does has actually worked out from that standpoint. Obviously, yeah. for people who have been pushed, pushed out and displaced, it's obviously bad. But it still creates a pretty functional society because like, I think a good example I point out like the city the city of like San Jose is uh, it's mostly Asian Latino city maybe the white population is down to something like abysmally low like maybe down to a quarter but it's actually at the same time it has like a high a high GDP per capita and it has a one of, I think it's like one of the, actually one of the lowest crime rates of any of any major city. And it's also like heavily immigrants. So for people who were maybe who got displaced, it was obviously not great, but obviously it's not it's not like to say this it's a disaster. It's still it's still like a relatively like functional place. Never prosperous, yeah. like the lowest crime and the high and a fairly high like GDP. So I'm not like some people maybe would get offended on the right would get offended. Well, I mean the left would be for different reasons, but like right wingers would say I'm apologetic for the way things are, but I am saying like by just those metrics, it depends like what your, what your metrics are, like what your, what your values are, but by those metrics, then yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you make the point that it's sort of naive to assume as you know, a lot of the dissident right would, um, that a non-white America is just going to collapse into dysfunction and, and, you know, uh, you know, outrageous crime. And sure, there are problems for sure. There is, you know, rising crime rate, um, and there are, you know, all sorts of economic yeah. problems, but overall the state is still, I'm, I'm, I am critical of the kind of like collapse porn narratives, but I mean, there are like, there is an economic crisis. Uh, there are legitimate arguments of like, you even have like these, like more kind of like libertarian YouTubers saying there's going to be economic collapse. So I have no idea how bad things will get with the economy. But there are, I mean, there are legitimately like major problems, and there's like the political polarization becoming more and more extreme. But I guess specifically the one narrative, like to say that, though on the demographic angle, to say that it would automatically collapse, like you can say that it's, you can criticize it, say it's a negative trend, but it's obviously, I think that's kind of like the problem with like the right wing is they're so emotionally and, and, and politically invested in these specific uh, narratives and that things are going to work out a specific way. And I think, yeah, like sometimes there may be like some truth to that, but it's like a major flaw with the right. I think another major flaw with the right is they're always expecting like some, like some major like backlash. Like one one interesting thing is like right now we have like this massive like migrant crisis, but it actually had like no impact on the midterms. Like Republicans did pathetically. Like the right wing thinks that there's going to be like some major backlash, but 
doesn't always like work out that way. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I think you're right. And I mean, what you describe is, like I said, basically my experience working in the state, although um, I did have much less experience in contact with the Asian population than I'm sure, you know, others do or, or, or would. Um, I mean, especially, you know, in Northern California, I think the Asian population is much greater. But I mean, overall, um, a lot of the non-white population is actually hardworking and ambitious and productive and I really didn't experience all that many racial conflicts in the workplace or just, you know, in society in general. One thing I did notice, though, is that um, there's like this seeming sense of maybe like jealousy or or I think maybe a better word would be like resentment of certain minorities towards whites. And this is something you could probably experience anywhere in the country, but it's something I definitely noticed in California. And I think a lot of this has to do with just the way whites are demonized in the media and in the history books and like the total like just weaponization of the historical record and the role that whites have played in this country and in the state of yeah, California particularly. I, I did say that things are pretty affable. People coexist. People get along okay. But the thing is like because of the amount of demonization that's being pushed in education at, at an early age now, like that that could flip in the future. So I was interesting in what I do in this article is I don't push one explicit narrative i think different scenario there are different like possible scenarios that could happen because of the amount of like indoctrination that could shift things dramatically in the future with like younger generations so then the other thing the other thing is as income inequality and economic problems like more jobs will be automated and we're going to economic crisis that puts stress on people I mean, that could exacerbate and make race relations much worse. So I think it's important, like, not to be invested in one narrative. But at the same time, like, many different possible scenarios could happen. So it's like I talk about something like pan, pan-enclavism. But maybe maybe I do this, like, myself. But who knows? Like, that doesn't necessarily pan out is, like, I write about so – I, I see that as a trend. Uh, I would, yeah, like, I would actually say that I, I think of myself like more as like a trend forecaster. Um, my main interest is in like predicting predicting future trends is probably like what my main uh, political and sociological interest. Yeah, wow, that's interesting. Um, so I know we only got about 15 minutes left, and there's a couple other aspects of the article I want to get to. Uh, one of which is you talk about the the rootlessness of white Californians in particular, which is very, very interesting to me. Um, you argue that California is uniquely rootless, which is exacerbated by the high cost of living. White Californians in particular are uniquely individualistic, perhaps one of the most individualistic groups of people on earth, making them disproportionately impacted by atomization for those who aren't connected to a close-knit community. And that is something, again, I experienced firsthand in California is whites especially are very, very rootless. And I mean, I myself was sort of part of this. Yeah, you know, I, mo- I moved across the country to live there. Things have changed so dramatically, but I think even like these past areas that are kind of idealized, like the 50s, I think that kind of individualism was baked in the cake in California already just because of the way things were set up. California was set up a variety of, of a diverse assortment of these like transplants from all over. And then like these like new kind of suburbs were suburban subdivisions were built up in the fifties. 
and it kind of created a more kind of deracinated uh, identity. So I think even when you could you could say this window where California was maybe more homogenous or more we're kind of in a post-American era, but even when it was more quote unquote American, these issues were basically kind of solidified this individualism. And also the way like the urban planning model is the whole idea of coming out to California so you can have like a home with like a large backyard is very like uh, you can idealize that and say it was great at the time, but it was sort of built up for like hyper individualism. So there's a whole other angle with like the housing policies, which I I don't think we have time for to to go into that in depth. Right now we have like a housing crisis, but that kind of model was very kind of like hyper individualistic. And I think in the East, I mean, the East coast has a lot of the same problems, but maybe in comparison, maybe it's more communitarian because you have people who have like lived in the same area for a longer period of time for over generations. Absolutely. I think like walkable, like things like walkable communities, it's actually the left, the left has generally been like more supportive of, but things like walkable communities are, are really crucial for like social capital and building up any sense of like community or identity. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the East Coast, I I, I have lived on the East Coast and, and traveled quite a bit on the East Coast and, and it is very much, much more tight knit communities, um, extended families and friends and stuff versus California. There is that to a certain extent. I mean, especially if you're, you know, you're from the state and you have a, a network of family and friends and stuff, but there's just so many people coming and going in California all the time. You know, people come in and they'll, they'll live there for a year or two and then leave. So yeah, it's, it's a very, a very unique place in that regard. And I think this rootlessness um, also impacts other white demographics around the country. Um, ju- I mean, it, just in general, whites have not developed a positive, like pro white racial community that seeks to champion our own unique interests. I think it's very much attached to like Americanism. So this is a quote. This is from a, I think another article. So basically, so traditionally, like Americanism and whiteness have been inherently kind of attached together. And I think going into like the future for more like multicultural America, I I kind of see like two scenarios. So like either I said in like a previous article, either whiteness, so whiteness and Americanism will eventually be decoupled. So either you'll see a kind of like civic nationalist American identity that is decoupled from whiteness or you'll see whiteness as part of multiculturalism like those it's either those one or the other but the thing is is like you can't underestimate how an invested people are into americanism and like what america's americanism like what does it mean at this point like now i think it's pretty clear like we're in a, like a post-american uh society and america just exists as like an economic zone but despite that, like so many people, like they won't, I mean, especially older generations, but this impacts younger people too, but they're so invested in Americanism. Maybe you could say it's a cope. It's just so ingrained in the culture that it's very difficult for people to let go of. And yeah. Like, what, yeah. The question is like, what, at this point, like, how do you define Americanism? Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you'd ask 10 people that question and they'd, you'd get 10 different answers. So, yeah, no, it, it is a problem. I think I mean, I think this really, though, impacts whites, especially um, given the fact that the mass media and the government work tirelessly specifically to prevent, 
you know, whites from having their own positive racial identity. I mean, that to me is a huge problem. That basically is the problem for whites in America. We're the yeah. only group not allowed, let alone like, encouraged. I think if it was framed as multiculturalism uh, rather than nationalism, the question is, like, would that expand the Overton window? I think that is the way to go. But the thing is, it's not going – you can maybe win over more people. I think it's a smart strategy, but it's not going to stop – like, I, I kind of – at the beginning of the show, I joked. I said, like, I'm a centrist and a multiculturalist, so you can't say that's racist. But the thing is – with the left, anything that's like any kind of positive identity politics is still going to be like viciously attacked by the other side. Like that's not something you can really get around. That has to be kind of addressed, but still it's better. It's better to pursue it for multiculturalism than nationalism. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, okay. So one last – I guess there's two last things here real quick. Um, you talk about white flight in the article, of course, and that's something we've been talking about throughout this conversation. Um, and, and at the end of the article, you kind of talk about how whites who do stay in California will be more resilient and strong and sort of able to overcome various challenges and institutional obstacles. There was a, like a conservative Trump supporter who left the state who got really offended by that. But I guess to clarify, by resilient, it can be like subjective and open to interpretation. But I guess by resilient, I mean adapted to California. It's like you have these people – more conservative people leaving, and then you have like the the more kind of like individualistic atomized people who maybe will stay, but they don't grow as like a demographic sense they don't really have a future. So I am seeing this like there is this kind of niche of people who are more resilient. And I mean to be kind of frank, it is more of a class thing. It is more of an upper class group, but going beyond just economics, like it's starting to become more like a like a tribe or a caste of people. Yeah, yeah, and that's what I had highlighted. You say in the in the article that you expect this this niche group of affluent white Californians with healthy fertility to increasingly become their own caste in the future. Very interesting. More, yeah, I think they sort of already are, but it's more on more on an implicit level. I definitely see that coming in. I think another thing, this is something that I don't think I really address, but I do think like wokeness and the way like issues like race relations are discussed are based on kind of like America, America's history of, of black and white relations. But that's actually – that sort of reflects the past. That doesn't really like reflect the future. Right. Yeah, interesting. Okay, and then one last thing here. This is basically how you close the essay, at least partially. You say whites must adapt to thrive as a tribe in the inevitable multicultural future. The sooner whites adapt, the better, but the danger is that whites wait too long to adapt. And that really kind of goes to the heart of all this. I mean, the way I look at America, it's it's basically a, like a, a multiracial like empire at this point. And there's all these different competing groups, and whites are the only ones that aren't you know, competing. Like, kind of like like India as an example, where you just have all these like kind of tribes and castes, and it's kind of but also kind of like quasi decentralized. And I think like the right wing may view that in a kind of dystopian sense, but actually that combined with like centralized institutions that forbade freedom of association, that would be terrible. But I'd say with a kind of like radically decentralized political or economic system, like I actually don't see it as a bad thing. I think there actually are positive things. I'd say like even things to be uh, optimistic about. I think what's really 
kind of uh, what's pretty like depressing or terrible is this kind of like limbo or in between stage. I think like letting go and actually embracing that is actually, I'd say is something to be optimistic about. It's actually, so it's not, I would actually not say like this article or the theme in general is some, is a pessimistic or pessimistic or reactionary subject matter. It's forward thinking. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, man. I think it's it's very interesting. It's very unique. It's a very uh, interesting take on Californian politics that I haven't encountered anywhere else. So I think you're doing a great job, and you got a lot of really good insight. So Thank you. Do, yeah, keep up the good work, man. I'm glad to uh, connect with you. Uh, when I post this podcast, I'll have a link over to your, your Twitter page where I follow you on Twitter, and then, of course, to your Substack page, and I'll also put a link to your author page at the UNS Review.